Hello, Mayday Roleplay, and welcome back to another edition of these Vampire the Masquerade origin stories we've been telling in preparation for our very exciting new Vampire the Masquerade game we call Vegas by Night. Um, I'm sure you've already heard. I'm sure if you're here, you have already seen all of them, of course, because you're a good, good little patron who does exactly as I tell them to, <laughs> meaning you've already seen our session zero that's on Patreon. You've already seen the one with Sergio, where I bumbled through that session, and you're about to see me bumble through another, as we tell the origin story of my good friend, Vince, who you've probably never seen before. Vince is not in a oh, lot right. of things in the TTRPG space. He's not in Black <laughs> Project Gaming. He didn't run all of Orpheus for us. He's not the scariest Agent Charlie you've ever seen in the world. Hey. So Vince, <laughs> uh, introduce yourself. Uh, say a big hello, a big welcome to everyone at Patreon there. Hell yeah, absolutely. Hello, everyone in Patreon land. Uh, great to see you all. Thanks for joining us. I am super, super freaking excited for this. Uh, a, to have you, Caleb, as, as storyteller, and B, to join the rest of the crew as a player. Like, dream come true, man. Dream right? come true. This is so awesome. Yeah. I'm sort of I'm realizing so that this is like the first real like voyage for Vince as a player with Mayday. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I am I'm so, so happy that it's happening here. Yep, me too. Me now too. I have to I'm make so sure that I like scar you as a person. Like, I have so zero extra pressure. Zero doubt you'll do that. Well. <laughs> zero doubt. Absolutely. Um, this is all in preparation for our first stream uh, with Vegas by Night, which may have already happened if you're watching this on VOD or, or, or yep. whatever is happening. It probably already has. But it starts July 2nd, and it will continue bi-weekly every Saturday in the same time slot we've been doing for a while on our Twitch. You can catch us at 10 a.m. PST and all other various times and the other ones that don't really matter. I'm sorry. The West Coast is more important. Uh, West Coast, Best Coast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> West Coast, Best Coast. 10 a.m. PST on Saturdays at our Twitch.tv uh, handle, which is Mayday RP. Uh, please check us out. Uh, we're really excited to tell these stories, and these origins should give you a really good interpretation of who these people are, what they have to offer, and what Vince is trying to show us. So without further ado, we're going to get kicked off here. Uh, we're going to tell uh, our Vegas story here. We're going to jump right into our vampires. Um, you ready, Vince? Ready. Let's do this. Beautiful. It is a Sunday just past eight o'clock at the Las Vegas Sun, the most reputable uh, journalism uh, institution within Las Vegas, Nevada. And you are staying overnight, over time, over everyone. Not a soul is left in the building except for yourself in your corner office. The lights are dim across the sea of desks that make out the lobby floor. And you alone have this uh, nice little windowed area to look out on what is the south of the Las Vegas Strip. You, you're out in paradise, baby, as they call it, right by Henderson, Nevada, uh, closer to the edge of Las Vegas where they keep the Las Vegas sun. You are far from the glitz, the glamour, the tourists, the terrible traffic, the trunks, the, the gamblers, the sharks, the whales. Everything off of the Strip is just a memory north of you. You're in local, local town, where you've always been, where you really belong. 
you're seeing the parts of Las Vegas that no one really becomes acquainted with without living here. Uh, the streets that are not paved in neon, the streets that are nothing but common Nevada suburbia, uh, with most people not even uh, under the age of 55, and most of them non-retired. But you are here in the Las Vegas sun, uh, shadowed in your corner office. W what does this workday look like? What what do you look like? Who are you? And, and what has this Sunday been like for you? Yeah, so um, Ethan, Ethan Cantor, is uh, 32 years old, early 30s, uh, probably about 5'11", around 180 pounds, give or take, uh, dark brown, almost black hair, kind of curly and, and has gotten a little long. He's got it kind of brushed and, and combed back, green eyes. Um, Definitely bags under his eyes. Right. Uh, when's the last time he, you know, at this point, probably difficult to remember the last time he got a solid good night's sleep. Uh, he has been consumed by by this assignment, which is exactly what he's working on now. Um, compiling all the notes he's taken from all the interviews, beginning to write up this piece, exposing, you know, corruption in the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Um, you know, go, going through, you know, all these, these, little flip notebooks of shorthand notes and getting it all in one place. So that way he can start making sense of all these puzzle pieces and putting it together to, to bring that knowledge and shine that light for the people of Las Vegas. Right. Uh, I, I think that it is a flurry of paperwork. It's going it from is. Yeah. handwritten notes to napkins. You, uh, you dirtied up in a Starbucks when you finally thought of someone to contact or what lead to, to follow up on their little, blurbs and sentences you picked up while writing on the bus and you thought th this would be a great example this this is the perfect interpretation metaphor the, the perfect uh, uh, analysis right and you've compiled all of these things you're putting them finally uh, into this computer to hopefully prepare what will be a damning piece of evidence that will shed light on the fact that Las Vegas PD has not been up to snuff they've been digging a little too deep into the uh, the money that runs through this city and deciding that maybe the gamblers shouldn't be the only ones walking away with millions. But you, Ethan, you've made a decision for yourself that this is enough. Let me ask you this. How far along is this case? Is this nearly done? Do you have everything you need here? <sighs> He's got... <sighs> You know, it's, it's like they always say in some of those, you know, legal procedural shows, like a bunch of circumstantial evidence, but but no nail in the coffin. Nothing definitive to show one way or another that who he thinks is calling the shots is actually calling the shots. Uh, definitely a lot of smoke, though. Uh, definitely a lot of smoke and hoping hoping that, you know, may, maybe if uh, maybe if he has the opportunity, maybe this is the shot across the bow. Right. That'll right. cause them to slip up. And, and give him that nail in the coffin. He sees this as just the opening salvo, right? This is the first in a, a multi-part expose. Uh, right. And once this hits the press, he, he, he's, he is counting on them getting sloppy. You're hoping that people will be called to action with this too, that yes. someone else will think the same way that Ethan does, that it's not okay that they could get away with this just because they're wearing a badge, carrying a gun. Absolutely. Yeah, city councilors, uh, you know, senior investors, you know, people with the money, uh, internal affairs, somebody in the police department that that you know decides that this warrants further looking into. Right. I'm sure there's a twinge of anger there too, thinking oh, yeah. in the back of you that they could get away on all of this simply because of their station. Yeah. 
Is yeah. Ethan someone who believes in the law as he's writing down these notes, as he's uh, compiling documents? Is he someone that believes that the law is, is necessary, that the law enforcer is necessary? To, to an extent. Um, but even he is, he's, he's worldly enough to know that the system as it stands is broken. And as long as men like these continue to call the shots and hold the reins, no, no true change will ever, will ever happen. No true change will ever take place. Um, and, and the law that people need is, is not the law that they are most, most often, you know, served, served and protected with. Right. Yeah. So you that makes sense. Of course it does. You're pulling at the bags on your eyes. Out outside, there's darkness uh, looming over you. Is is this full moon is starting to peek up over the uh, horizon of Las Vegas? Is it? It's starting to uh, to forebode a longer night for you. Um, oh yeah. How much longer do you expect uh, expect to spend here in the office? Is this is this an all night routine? Yeah, I think I think for now it is. Uh, he's definitely he's on that second pot of coffee, and he's got those those caffeine slash sleep deprivation jitters, mm-hmm. where like he's just running on pure adrenaline and caffeine at this point, and and like every like any time he holds up a piece of paper, he's caught he's conscious of his hand vibrating just a bit too much, um, but it's just is just intent. He, he's he's a man on a mission, and just intent to just push through until this is where it needs to be for the morning. Right. Well, the reach for the next coffee cup, just as you're going for it, there's a ring of your landline. Um, it's an unfamiliar ring. Not many people call through the traditional sun yeah. landline and not certainly at 810 at night when people are sure that the doors are closed. But it rings all, all the same right across from you. You check your, your cell phone uh, for that phantom vibration and realize yep. that it is indeed the desk in front of you. Yeah, reaches out and picks it up. Yeah, this is Cantor. There is a stillness on the other side of the phone for a moment. Um, almost the the sound of uh, a, a rerouting, um, similar to any time you call like a payphone and you'll get an automated message before, or you're calling someone and then you get routed out to a new extension. Um, this sort of click and and hitch in the uh, the audio, and then. Um, after that stillness, uh, you wait for just a few seconds for, for anything that comes after that transfer noise. Um, uh, and eventually, you hear on the other side, Ethan? Ethan Cantor, okay. Yeah, I figured that was who I was calling. I'm glad I got the right individual. Uh, Ethan, how's your night going? Uh, it's going. Who am I? Uh, who am I speaking with? Uh, an interested party. Okay. E- Ethan, you know, you are a hell of a journalist, you know that? M- uh, much obliged, thank you. How long you been with the Las Vegas Sun? Uh, a few years now. And, and you're enjoying yourself? You You think the Sun takes care of you? You think the Sun respects what you're doing here? Who, who is this? I've been up way too long to be playing these games. I, I'm not playing any games. I'm asking you a question. And if you're as interested in the things that you are, if you think what you're doing matters in Vegas, I think you'll stay on the line. And I think you'll answer the question. 
they give me an outlet. Yeah, they let me. They let me say what I need to say. You think they're gonna back you when you start coming after the cops? I mean, if if let's stick to ifs, right? Situations. When I go after the cops, yeah, they'll back me. It may be the only ones. This city, it doesn't have a great history with, uh, well, one, honest cops, and two, defending the people looking for the truth. What side of the equation are you on? (laughs) That is a good question. Uh, I don't play sides. Uh, I don't play favorites. I don't play anything unless it feeds my pocket. This whole situation, everything that you're getting into, Ethan... I don't feed my pocket anymore. Uh, so this is the obligatory back off here, make my life miserable, ruin my career. No, no, this is the exact opposite, Ethan Cantor. This is an opportunity. You see, my people called me, right? And they tell me that someone's been running a riot of permission to access some properties of mine. Uh, you know, people coming around asking questions, people that look a lot like Ethan Cantor of the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, Properties that he's been checking out are usually preceded with a big old private on the sign. So it had me wondering, who thought they had the authority to hop some gates and ask questions of the fucking single-cell organisms I employ to look over the warehouses? Who would think that they had the authority to speak to my idiots? And lo and behold, the Ethan Cantor-shaped shadow seemed to be the very one and the same. You got me. Then it became uniquely obvious. You're not interested in me. You're interested in a friend of mine, a dear friend, a a friend that you and I share. One that if I had any chance myself, I'd hang him from the fucking rafters, but I don't, so I don't. Underwood. That's the man. So I gotta ask, what is it that you have against Captain Underwood? You sure you don't want to tell me who you are? I am fucking positive. Let's say uh, I got a lot of smoke. I ain't got fire. Okay. And you're sure you want to go through with this? Listen, it's... uh, Sometimes he's got to shake the tree, see what falls out. Oh, you're shaking fucking trees, brother. You're shaking fucking skyscrapers. You're shaking all of Vegas and asking if anybody's corrupt. You know what the fuck that means, right? Yeah, I do. I also know what it means when guys like Underwood have certain people in their pockets and they're doing fucking drive-bys in residential neighborhoods and killing fucking kids and leaving them bleeding out on the fucking sidewalk. I got you. I understand the play. I'm I'm not saying it's a bad one. I'm saying it's a dangerous one. But if you're in it, then I have an opportunity. Do you want to hear the gift I'm going to lay at your feet? The strange but fortunate confidant that you have just earned? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. It's free to listen. Oh, you're going to do a lot more than listen if you stick with me. There's a road off of Sloan. It's just past the Army Reserve Center. It runs through the canyon. You're going to follow that road north until you see the chain link fencing. There's a drainage access building past the fence entrance. You're to arrive at 1.30 a.m. If you show up at 1.31 a.m. or 1.29 a.m., we're not going to fucking talk. 1.30 a.m. And as long as you're there, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow this whole thing out of proportion. Uh, so I just, want to, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Um, you want me to drive out to the middle of nowhere, one thirty at night, working the case I'm working, and expect nothing bad's going to happen to me. The fact that you're scared means you're smart. Hey, ain't, ain't paranoia if uh, you got something to be afraid of, right? It's very true. And let me tell you, Ethan. You got a lot in this world to be afraid of. Uh, yeah. What assurances do I have of my safety? None. In fact, I could kill you the second you show up. But I could have done that already. Alright, look, just we're on the same page. Everything I've written... If something happens to me, it goes hot first thing in the morning. I don't give a fuck. You know what? Let that be your insurance. All right. Listen, Ethan, if if you want to know the truth about Las Vegas, you'll be at that drainage center. I'll teach you everything you need to know. What do I call you? <laughs> Don't call me shit. And he hangs up. He kind of, he kind of just, just he listens to the dial tone for a little bit, and then like looks down at the phone before kind of just gently resting in the cradle. Like, what the fuck just happened? That was a very surreal conversation. Like, hard not to like that guy, <laughs> but also just a little bit terrifying. I love it. So, yeah, uh, you would get caller ID on this, um, so I feel like I have to give you that. Okay, yeah. Um, it would be is... to... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, you go first. Um, it would be to a on-target guns and accessories. Um, that, that's what it reads on the, uh, the caller ID. Okay. Your mind does search back to that moment where it shifted calls, but did give you a, a read, and the caller ID comes up as on-target guns. Yeah. He's going to call it on his, okay. he's going to call it real quick. Yeah. Real quick. You go back in. I, I mean, I know that star 69 is probably no longer a thing, but you star 69 it, you call through, yeah. you try and get onto on target guns. And, um, it is eight 30. So, um, they're closed uh, about that time. It's closed, but you get the voicemail that comes through, you, you know, offering for you to call back during their shop hours. Uh, and it just sort of rings through. It has this disgusting, like Americana, Esque, um, like country music jangle on the background while you're waiting, and then oh, yeah. after about thirty seconds of that jingle, it goes straight back to the voicemail, and you know maybe you're thinking that just on the other end he'll pick back up and 
and this will be real again, but nothing ever comes. Just that disgusting yep. guitar. Yep. Yeah, just hangs it back up. Sitting, good, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no no! I was just gonna say he knew he he knew it'd be it, it, it was it was jumping he was jumping lines so yeah. sitting in that corner office it's it's getting dark it's eight thirty I mean moon is fully in the sky you're in this dark office and and you're just thinking about that dial tone noise and the jangle of that country guitar and this place feels just eerily quiet um and you've become accustomed with that feeling that feeling of I'm the only one moving when everyone else is resting. Um, and it begins to sit on you, uh, enough that the shadows seem to lengthen in the lobby of that, that room. And you get that feeling that you can only get in places that are designed for many, but only one person is occupying at the moment. You, you feel that touch on your back like someone's watching. Uh, but you also get a text message. Uh, it's from Genevieve, um, and it reads, did you forget? Oh, f- fuck! He immediately just shoots up and and grabs like the 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 wrinkled blazer that hasn't seen a dry cleaner in way too long, throws it on and just bolts for his car. Beautiful! You run out. You're yep. you're down the stairs fast as you can. You still have to lock up the building on your way out. You're the only soul yep. left. But you get out to the parking lot. Go ahead and give me a roll of wits and per uh, perception, please. Let's do it. Yeah, so that's going to be a four, and perception is okay. What's what's in what now? Oh, uh, awareness or no? Um, oh yes, I'm sorry, not perception. Awareness. What's in awareness? I'm thinking D and D. Yeah, so I'm right there with you. All right, let's let's see. First roll. So that's um. Ooh. That is two successes. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Um, You push open the double doors. You're stepping out into the uh, parking lot. You've got your briefcase and your your jacket slung over yourself. Put yourself together. And just out of the corner of your eye, you see across from the street um, uh, a sedan that's parked in this sort of, uh, like, business park residential area uh, turns on immediately uh, as the door opens and you walk out. It pulls out and then drives away. Got it. Okay. Yeah, he clocks it, and kind of as it drives away, he he holds up a, a big middle finger. Um, the no, car seems unperturbed by your middle finger. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Makes him feel better though, right? Yeah. Which is what's important. <laughs> um, so yeah, he'll just he'll kind of watch the tail lights recede and uh, kind of navigate to his own car and okay. start making his way to the restaurant. I'm assuming right. the restaurant. I think that's where they said they were going to meet. Yes. Uh, yeah. Do you have any idea where you would be taking Genevieve out? Are you guys a strip couple? Is this like a nice enough night that you're actually going to brave the traffic of Las Vegas to get down there? Or are you staying somewhere local? Is this a diner spot you guys have only been to? What are you thinking here? Yeah, I think, I think it's at this point, it's definitely a diner spot. Genevieve is not the um, wine and dine, fancy schmancy you know, type. Uh, more like, you know, where can I get a good burger at, you know, 11 o'clock at night kind of kind of place. So, right. yeah. Definitely kind of just a nice local spot that they can, that that is comfortably off the beaten path. Right. 
Sunday at you know 8:30 at night, uh, this south of the strip uh, near Henderson by Paradise, it is bone 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 quiet out here. Uh, yeah. It's uh, the only uh, thing you have is the, the the music you're pumping through your own car if you do, or maybe he's a talk radio type, um, and the sound of your car sort of rolling through these streets. Occasionally, you'll see someone uh, you know dark in the corner of an intersection to cross and. Uh, that will be the first person you've seen in you know, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it may be. Um, and it takes on a sort of loneliness that feels like that office. A lobby that is supposed to hold many, but only holds one. Yeah. Yeah, and he's definitely, I would say he's definitely keeping an eye on his rear view and his side mirrors, trying to see if, you know, uh, there's cars turning with him. If a sedan is following you. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and give me a... Uh, uh, yeah, let's go with wits and awareness again. Or let's actually, you know the sedan. Uh, you've seen the sedan. Let's see investigation. Maybe you can pick it out Ooh, while you're driving. Okay. So wits All and right. investigation. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. That is one, two, three, four, five successes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, you do pick up that maybe two intersections back there are familiar headlights um that normally uh, anyone off the street would not have recognized as something that was familiar but the paranoia that is set in the reason for the bags under your eyes the stuff that keeps you up at night the shadow that you've always thought was the captain that you always thought was someone deciding that your work was too important to see the light of day you know or at least paranoia does that this is for you that he's for you it's the familiar headlights of that sedan does not seem aggressive it's not pursuing you at length but you're familiar with police tactics when it comes to tailing and this would be maybe it's not i don't know i caleb doesn't know but in this (laughs) world this would be absolutely in line with with trying to keep a pace with this target Um, they're definitely driving not to be seen but to follow Perfect. Okay. Yeah, he'll he'll just clock it and uh, go about business, business as usual. Right. It, it definitely doesn't. He's not going to try anything slick, like run red lights or drive down one way streets or something, because then that's probable cause for a stop, baby. And then they right. can really fu- fuck his night up. So you are um, giving yourself no reason to be pulled over. Absolutely. Yep. Exactly the speed limit. None of that five five over business. Just. Nice and nice and steady. Well, the person that was so paranoid before has now engaged a, a, a secret muscle. He keeps, especially for reasons like this, and you engage that paranoia enough to make it physical and, and drive through these streets without uh, causing any reason for pulling over. And it seems as though, for now, he just seeks to watch. Um, and you pull up into the the parking lot, the diner that you and Genevieve have agreed to meet at. Um, it is a sorry sight of uh, you, those big 1950s sort of retro panel windows where you can see absolutely everyone dining at the front. Um, it would be kitschy if it wasn't so dilapidated from years of lack of upgrade. Um, and you can see in the third booth, right against the window, with a single cup of what you can only assume is cold coffee, 
uh, is this person you've spent so much of your time with, so much of uh, your your existence in Vegas with, um, someone you've become all too familiar with, with cold coffee and late dinner dates. Um, this is Genevieve. What does Genevieve look like? Do you want to describe her for, for everyone here? She is yours. Yeah, yeah. So she's um, probably 5'9", five, 5'10", five, uh, very lithely built, uh, dark-skinned woman, close, close crop, cropped uh, black hair. Um, you know, very uh, not dressed up to, for any, just very kind of beautiful in a very plain way. Right. right, like, like, just very. The longer you look at her, the at least in Ethan's mind, the the more beautiful she gets, and um, definitely has that quiet strength and integrity that kind of attracted him to her to to begin with. Right. Um, and he kind of he almost kind of catches himself stopping just a little bit and watching her through that window, maybe just a scutch too long, um, before kind of making his way into the diner. Right. I don't think she notices. She sits there with that sort of. It's never been gaudy, but it's always been purposeful beauty. Uh, something yep. that comes with a lot of clean, neat preparedness of soul. Um, and she does look perturbed. Uh, it's an obvious sort of look on her face, and it's one you've become very familiar with. And even as you push through the double doors, you come into the diner here. Uh, she looks up from her coffee, and she gives you a knowing look, a look that has become imprinted on your soul. That is to say, God, you made me wait again. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and he just kind of does the, the, as he walks over, and he just and immediately the 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 apologies and the platitudes start. Like I'm, I am so sorry. I just I lost track of time. It, it, I'm so sorry. She says nothing, uh, does nothing. She just she calls over the waiter, uh, and she orders a coffee for you the way you like it. Um. She looks over at you. She says, um, did you get any closer? Yeah. You know, a um, little bit. Just, just slow but steady, you know. Um, somebody's following me. So I'm freaking somebody out. She looks scared immediately her, her whole body uh, shifts forward as she looks out the window as if she's going to take on the threat head on she says what are you talking about there's someone after you i i'm sorry look i i don't i don't know what i'm saying that's how I'm you just... start the dinner we, yeah, we I'm gotta an asshole. take you somewhere we we gotta talk to somebody no no i um no i got someplace to be tonight um I mean, obviously, obviously here, but Genevieve, I got this, I got this phone call. That's, that's why I was late. Um, they want me to meet them and they say that they've got, they can offer him up on a platter. She gives you a look. You're expecting the world out of this reaction. You want her to go, oh my God, we got him. You want her yeah. to burst with joy here. And she deflates you immediately. She gives you a look that is, oh my God, not again. Um, she she looks at you and she says, they? Who's they? I, I don't know. Some guy, he knows what he's doing. I think he was, he was calling from another line, but it looked like it was going someplace else. Like the, the tradecraft is there. He knows what he's doing. I, it, Ethan. 
Ethan, would you just take a deep breath, please? <sighs> yeah, I... Yeah. You know how all this sounds, right? You sound crazy. There's somebody following you. There's people calling you from other lines. They want you to go meet them where? At this time of night? You don't even know who they are. All I, all I know is that they can... If what he says is true, it's it's done. This whole thing is blown wide open for everybody to fucking see. It's not done, though. You, you keep acting like this is the end. This is step one, Ethan. You, you sell these people out, the entire Las Vegas Police Department. You, you tell the world what they're doing, and you think that ends? No. That's just no. the beginning. No. Writing a think piece, writing writing a pipe bomb doesn't send them to jail. It strings you up high. You know how this city works. You're you're never gonna work again. And if someone really is chasing you, I I just I can't see something happen to you. I know. I. I'll be all right. I, I. I. You know, I have to see this through, Jen. Like I can't. I can't not go. You could. You could. Listen. You and I. We have been tiptoeing around this for a long time, and I know I act like I hate you all the time. <laughs> but that's yeah. only half of it. want this you you could slow down at the sun a little bit you could work with me uh, at, at the shelter we could work together there are so many people that need our help that we could help directly not years of fighting in the courts to see anything happen and to let everyone else decide that another cop is okay but you could change something at a local level, you could feed people who need feeding, house people that need housing. And at the end of the day, you could come home to me. I want that. You know I do. I just... Let me see this. Let me see this through, and then I will step away. All right. I just... I need to lift the lid, Jen, because if I if I don't, then who? I have I have this information. I have these pieces of this puzzle, and somebody needs to put it together. Somebody needs to get it out there and open everyone's eyes, Jen, because if I don't, it's just gonna go right back to the shadow where it started, and then all there's gonna be are just rumors and whispers and out and and just and nothing, nothing concrete. And everybody's saying cops are bad, but man, they can't be that bad. They can't be that. Yes, they fucking can, Jen. And I need to. If not me, then who? And you know they want me to have this conversation. They want me to have some who tell to put this down, to to not take it any further. They are counting on that. Fuck them. I just think you could be really happy with me. If you go you tonight, I, 
can't do it anymore, Ethan. Jen, don't. I'm being serious. I I can't. Look, I'm sorry I was late. I mean... It's not about that. You've always been late. It's about... If I... What I lose. What you lose. If we obsess. You know why I got into this, right? And and why I started working for the sun. Why I started... (laughs) The truth matters. Jen? Doesn't it? You know, I think it does. I just... I wish it mattered. I wish I mattered more. I wish you mattered more. You deserve better than this. If not me, then who? I don't know. Look, um, oh god. She, um, moves to pick herself up from the table. It looks like she, she goes to form three different thoughts that never solidify. And she gives you a look that is familiar to you. You've seen this look in, uh, back when you first met Genevieve, when you were working for the the homeless shelter of Las Vegas, when you were working with the Alliance put together to, uh, house and clothe these individuals. It is a look of desperation when you have reached the end of all option. And she is looking at you with that in her eyes. And she looks like she's going to make for the door. Please, please, just please don't go. Don't go? And I won't go. It's not. That's what I thought, Ethan. Please stay safe. And she puts a hand on your shoulder, reaches in, and kisses your cheek. And she just sort of lingers her forehead against the side of your face for a moment and sort of clutches you to her and then breaks and goes for the door. He cannot even bear to watch her go. He just stares down into that that dark kind of reflection in the coffee. That, that diner all feels like a joke, and it feels like every light but the one over your booth is, is shut down, and you are now sitting in the spotlight of fake fluorescent glow, and the parking lot outside seems overwhelmingly dark, but it's where the audience sits. And they sit and they watch this sad man with the bags under his eyes sit alone at his booth and wait for Genevieve to get into her sedan the keys in the ignition she pulls out and she goes away into the darkness away from you into a world you will never see again he can feel himself start to get angry maybe maybe a little indignant like 
how could she ask that of me? That's unfair. That's that that that's she knows who I am. But then he he just he quickly kind of suppresses that and and just tells himself, "You made your choice. You earned this. Whether you want it or not, you earned it. And now you have to live with it. And uh, he'll pay for their coffees and just go drive, just kill time, right." You pay for the coffees, um, and there's plenty of time to kill. Uh, you get into your car as soon as you uh, start the ignition, almost as a, uh, a greeting flag, or you know, all, almost in conversation. A sedan in the parking lot across the street turns on, and your headlights zoom in on each other, and it's, it's as though they're not even uh, they're not even hiding. They're not even hiding it. Yeah. Um. The one thing he will do is look for a mailbox. Okay. And uh, I'll as soon as he can. There's absolutely a residential area off the side of this diner. It's probably like the local spot. You could find a, a, a mailbox at the first place. Yeah. Like one of those old blue ones that they drop things off in. Mm-hmm. And he pops open his briefcase and he pulls out the, the thick brown envelope addressed to Rabbi Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, drops it in. Uh, you know, as as his insurance policy. Got it. Just you know, if something were to happen to him, then Rabbi Sam at least has has the manuscript, the, the backups, right? Yep. Perfect. It's all done. The sedan watches as you do it. You get back into your car. You do have some hours to kill, or to lose a tail. Is there anything you'd like to do before uh, before one o'clock? Before yeah. 130. Um I think he will try to he will after a certain point try to lose the tail as as legally as he can without being too provocative or uh you know uh so yeah he's going to he's going to try to to ditch him cuz he especially if whoever it is on the other side of that phone is probably not going to be super happy if he brings company. Right. So so in that mind, how are you losing this tail? Are you doing it through sheer driving uh, acumen? Is this a stealthy loss? Do you park somewhere and hope they, they lose you? Is it a, a talking your way out of this situation? You choose to, you know, stock up in a porno mag place and wait for six <laughs> hours, you know, whatever you're thinking. Yeah. Um, I think definitely try to lose them quietly. Try to be stealthy about it. Try to be you know, just, just maybe turn one corner too many and lose them, go, you know, duck into a parking garage, um, something. Yeah, he, it, it, and especially, in, in fact, he may actually drive towards the strip and get lost in the traffic. Um, the harder for them to maneuver, the easier for him to kind of break away. I love that. And the strip, uh, to anyone that has experienced Las Vegas, they know how terrible it is to drive the strip. Um, yep. It's just the easiest way to lose an evening. Um, and for sure, it does kill some time for you as well as you get stuck in with this traffic and it, all these drunks crossing the street. You, you get oh, yeah. caught between those Caesar bridges and, and the people off the crosswalk there just past the, the strip malls across from Paris. And, uh, you know, you know, you drive in from the Strat and hope to God that this tail uh, doesn't come around the strip too long. Um, let me get a dexterity and stealth from you 
Um, right. Just to, to indicate how well we hide with this car of ours. I... Let me see. Uh, three successes. Three successes. Awesome. Three okay. successes. Yeah. Um, you eventually drive through the strip long enough that you are bathed in the neon lights and in the flash and the, the sea of people that are uh, providing haven for your car here. Uh, and the sign of that tail... Um, your your eyes are good. You've seen them three times now. You know exactly the make. Maybe you've even scored the uh, the um, license plate, whatever it is. You know enough to know when he's behind you. And for as many times as you're looking over the, your shoulder, for as many times as Jen's voice is in your head um, talking to you about how far you're going uh, and just how much you'll lose, um, you, you can imagine behind you he's gone. You're almost sure of it. You cannot make out for any sedan that's uh, in your direction. And after pulling off from some of the main access streets past the casinos, you've brought yourself back into the local district just south of the the, the strip there, um, and you feel as though you're alone. There's no guarantee in this world, but whatever the predator was, he's not hunting any longer. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think he'll just find a place to sit and maybe go get some coffee. Right. <laughs> you know, get, get some more coffee. Um, uh, and he'll actually, he'll actually call, if he's still got time, he'll actually call the, uh, the rabbi. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you you get rabbi on the phone there. Uh, you have his personal line, so it's not difficult for you. Um, it comes up absolutely. Um it's a little late for Rabbi. You know that he is uh, uh, the perfect uh, uh, specimen for going to bed early, the perfect oh, yeah. uh, element for it. Um, so you do feel his voice is roused as he comes to speak, uh, but he absolutely answers on the other side. Says, "Hello, hey, uh, Rabbi Sam. It's 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 Ethan." Oh, oh, oh. My boy, Cantor, how are you? I'm I'm good, Rabbi. How are How are you? I'm sorry it's so late. I uh no, it's I'm sorry fine. I'm constantly... It's fine. I I was only sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you have a minute? Well, of course, I always have a minute for you, my boy. What is it that, that you're bringing at my feet here? Is this how important is this? I am in my bathrobe. Uh. Not too important for you to get up and get dressed, Rabbi. Um, just, uh, I may be about to do something really, really stupid. Oh, my boy. What a, that could mean anything. What do, what do you mean? What are you bringing to me? You know, I've been working on something. Right? I do. The, oh, this kind of stupid, I understand. This kind of stupid. Somebody came to me with an offer of information and I can't say no and I've already <sighs> Genevieve has decided she's done Ugh. and I can't blame her I want to but I can't you know in um, my experience with the woman she's only ever wanted your best but 
we can't fault her for disagreeing. No, no. And this is important, right? What I'm doing is, this is important, right? The truth is more important than anything. The, the, the truth of our God, of, of our life, everything that we do here is a test for what is to come. And of course what you're doing is important. What everyone does is important. And do you believe that, that this is something, that this will be the end of this? It has been some time, Ethan, that we have been chasing through and is this it? Something Genevieve said just kind of has, it's rattling around. Um, and she's right. I, I I don't think it is the end. I think it is just the beginning, but I think it might be, I think it might be the end of my role. And it'll be me maybe passing the torch on for somebody else to give their pound of flesh. Well, there is a good precedent on people keeping a flame lit. Yeah. If this is yours to pass, let it be a righteous decision. What you're giving yourself over to, this is something you want and something you believe is right, just, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I just... I don't know at what point... I wanted to I don't know at what point I was doing this simply because it was the truth and it was the right thing to do and at what point it became about me being right oh my boy it is a very difficult thing to remove pride from the occasion yeah but sometimes they coincide it is possible to be doing the right thing and doing the right thing for yourself. It is possible to be both prideful and good. I, I appreciate that. Thank, thank you. That, I, th- I mean, that, that helps. I think... <laughs> I think this is for the best. Ethan, you have always been a good judge of character and a greater eye for justice, for what is right in this world. And if you believe there is injustice, then it is part of your job here on Earth to deliver, to do right by people who need it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And if Jen does not believe in this lifetime, then there is always the second. Thank you, Rabbi. Of course. This is the best thing I have ever said in a bathrobe. <laughs> I, I imagine it is. Um, look, just just so you're not shocked, I dropped something in the mail. For you, just I don't think anything's going to happen, but just in the off chance I get arrested, 
somebody tries to keep this story from running tomorrow. I emailed you. I, I, I mailed you everything I have. Oh, make sure some make sure somebody at the sun gets it. Okay, Ethan, this is. Are you sure? Okay, I, I, I will. I will. But you have to promise something to me. Always. You'll go with God and you'll let me pray over you. <laughs> of course I will. Uh, and I think that there's a, a portion here where Rabbi um, goes through traditional blessings and, and you basically go through every prayer that might fit this book. Uh, and uh, there's yeah. even a portion where Rabbi goes to get uh, the holy text and come back and speak through it to you and, and make sure that you feel uh, comfortable. Um, uh, and he, you know, he goes through all of this and then uh, wishes you good luck. And I think he, he gives you a good night there. Um, and by the end of that call, it, it, it is nearing uh, just enough time to get you down to uh, to Sloan and just past the Army Reserve. Is there anything else you'd like to accomplish? Are we moving forward with a very important meeting? We're moving forward. He just kind of, Ethan just kind of steals himself and still kind of second guessing at this point. Um, wondering if it's not too late for him to turn around. Um, but and what the rabbi said and, and what he's been feeling all along, like and, and that that reconciling that sense of pride with that sense of of truth telling, he just he continues on. Right. It's it's a drive, uh, especially from being uh, just just at the strip. Now you're you're driving um, out basically into the boonies um sloan is obviously into sloan county or i'm sorry uh sloan canyon which is this big uh outcropping just uh at the lower half of vegas that empties out to this canyon um and it sends you through some winding roads and everything and it does indeed uh after about 15 minutes of driving under this big moon and uh, the darkness that is sort of enshrouding your vehicle there and the, the headlights that are illuminating everything out here because there's no real street lamps. You do see the darkened uh, Army Reserve Center off to your right. A huge military presence in Las Vegas, and this is just one of those calls. Um, and and uh, it's, it's closed up for the night, obviously, but plenty of cars parked out in its parking lot. This feels like the goalpost essentially because passing yeah. through this is going down Sloan Road which doesn't even officially become a road um, and the one you've sort of mapped out from the phone call given to yourself uh, is absolutely not a road it's sort of like an access port that's off of the the main Sloan Canyon Road that extends out it's full dirt on the, all the way up through the canyon essentially so your, your car comes to a stop there and you're looking out. Um, uh, this is maybe if you had any opportunity, this would be your last chance to turn back. Does he see any other lights? Like, is it, does it look like there's anyone or anything else out here right now? Go ahead. Um, what are you looking for there, in there specific? Are we looking for uh, <sighs> cars? Are we looking for shapes in the distance? Uh, yeah, maybe cars. Like, because obviously somebody would have to drive to get out here. So just yeah. seeing if there's any any sign of another vehicle being out here. 
Yeah, so I think you flip on your brights. Let's take a look. Give me a wits and awareness. Okay. Alright, awesome. That is... Yeah, two successes. Two successes? Uh, you don't feel as though you can see anything in the immediate distance. Um, okay. The nature of this road is that it's sort of climbing up into the canyon itself. So there is this sort of peak about 30 feet from where you are now where it sort of levels over so you can't really see past that point to begin with. Um, but in your immediate uh, sight, it's just you out here. In fact, that's that's the feeling you get is the rumble of your own car and yeah. not a whole lot uh, outside of it. All right. Yeah. Let's press that, that, that peak and... You press that peak you you start to drive through and it starts to wind out even more until eventually you run into the the road that that strange accented man warned you would be your strange fortunate uh confidant as he described himself um and you pull out onto the actual dirt that that extends out into the canyon and now you're truly driving off road and what what is uh uh Ethan drive? I didn't really even think about this. Maybe this is like oh, an man. automobile bouncing through the desert. Yeah, it's like it's like a ten year old Honda Civic at this point. Like it's just yeah, it is not doing well right now. Yeah. Um, so for sure the Civic has never been off roading before and at times yeah. The, the dirt road has obviously not been uh, serviced in a very long time or paved through, and the people that are coming out here are prepared for that. You know, Obviously, the government's going to know how bad their own road is. Um, so <laughs> at times, you're not even sure whether you, know, you can get past these potholes, so you have to slow down to sort of ease the Civic in and then out. Um, but you're making good time. Um, go ahead and give me a uh, composure plus awareness oh okay build that pool here all right that is uh one success um it hits you at the last second um yeah there is a flash of headlights off of the right uh coming up from this in slope off the canyon road um, and that flash of the headlights is enough for you to look and see this uh, three-panel van as it revs up as fast as it can through the, the road there and then joins you in, clipping the side of your vehicle. You can hear the crunch in as the Civic starts to waver, nearly falling from the, the very gently paved road as it is. Um, and you manage to keep yourself uh, in the front seat driving. It's not as though your car implodes, but you've been knocked to the side there. The sedan is threatening to fall deeper into the canyon off the left-hand side, maybe tip. Uh, go ahead and give me a drive and dexterity to see how well you can pick yourself up from this collision with this white panel van. That was that, that was a dice pull of two, and that is two successes. Oh, there <laughs> oh, we go. Man. Hell yeah. yeah. Two successes will be enough as you can feel the whole car start to weave yeah. back and forth as you're struggling and 
overcorrecting and overcorrecting until finally you feel like you have a grip. It's still swaying left to right, and you can feel the clip on your back right tires is causing serious damage for keeping yourself straight. So now your your arms have to you know overcorrect to make sure that you're accommodating for that side. What's the plan? This white panel van is clearing into view. It's now whipped itself around so much oh. that it's bouncing up onto the ground, and you can see that it's pursuing you. And you can see just behind it, two other lights have picked up, just peeking past oh. that that uh, uh, that hill you went through. Yeah, at this point, he's gonna try to whip it around and and just go try to go back the way he came, like because okay. there's really n- no place else for him to go, really. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're halfway through to that drainage ditch, uh, that that drainage center. You can even see it passed up through the hill, but you've realized just how defeated this situation is. You pull yourself around, go ahead and give me a, uh, let's do composure and drive. You're trying to keep yourself cool. You're trying to uh, focus on the situation, even though you're driving towards these lights instead of away now. No, no successes. No successes. You get hitched halfway through the Civic, dips into one of the, the new uh, changes in terrain that has been uh, caused by that massive dent in your, your car. And the back right wheel starts to sputter through as you can oh. feel half of your car sort of lifted off the the road and no longer touching the, the road itself. And you're sort of perfect position for a T-bone there uh, as you're caught in the middle. That white panel van catching up to you is, is going to attempt to uh, take you there. Uh, just try and knock you off the road, basically. Um, yeah. I'm going to give you a, let's call this, uh, wits and drive oh, uh, okay. versus my uh, dex and drive to see if he can he can finally pin you for that T-bone. Uh, one success. Unfortunately, you feel the white panel van hit the square center of that Civic. And for a moment, it's it's slow motion. It's frozen in time. For a moment, you're back in the diner. You're sipping cold coffee with Jen. And you're wondering just how much you'll lose. And then life comes back into view. And your car spins through the air as it's knocked full over back onto its side. Um, the, the top of your car has now fit the bottom of the road and your wheels are spun up into the sky. Um, the glass collapses through. You take a lot of uh, 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 bloodied superficial damage. Uh, in fact, let's call that, by the way, uh, I just wanna make sure that the viewers understand right now, Vince is very human. So superficial damage <laughs> absolutely matters here. Um, it hurts. So uh, let's say that you took three superficial damage here in the health category, okay? Got it. Unlike okay. Uh, in the future when things will change for you, superficial damage is very official here. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you take your full health, you will unfortunately die before you even get to play the game and I'll have to rewrite the whole story. Um, Great. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so you're you're knocked over. You are still strapped into the car itself. It's crunched in. You can feel the compression, the the air leave your body as you're pressed into the 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 dashboard itself. And you can see that the panel van is is sort of stalled out from its engine, uh, hitting you so hard as it did. Um, you can tell that those people are trying to get out of their cars now to pursue you. But you have an opportunity here. What's the play? 
uh get get out get out and and can he see the drainage where he, where the meat was supposed to happen absolutely it's it's okay. honestly uh if you were a fast runner in high school maybe you can make it um okay it's up the hill i would say maybe 120 feet from where you are now um is that yeah. like the only structure out here yes so it, okay the, to put it in perspective this is almost like uh there when you turn down this dirt road there was probably a sign that said uh, uh authorized access only right got it. uh you got know it. official access only this is one of those uh the government uh sets up these drainage pipes out here and this is how they access them but it's really only designed to get to this one um so there's plenty of like plowed field to the left and you imagine you could probably run the right side around the canyon to get back to the service roads uh but that would probably be longer than the drainage itself uh yeah yeah he's he's not i mean uh, he's not sure at this point like was the call what just happened was the whole point to get me here for this to happen is somebody still waiting for me doesn't matter at least if he gets to the drainage ditch, he, uh, the, the the drainage tunnel, he can get in there and and maybe maybe lose them because he right. he's not losing he's not losing anybody out here in the wide open. Right. So yeah, he's just gonna he's gonna try to get out and make a break for it. Let's get your dexterity plus uh, athletics, or I would also accept survival. Maybe uh, maybe okay. Ethan knows something we don't about these sort of situations. Um, meanwhile, they're going to roll to pursue. Yeah, that is a big fat no successes. Okay. Well, you make it out of the car uh, quick enough, and you get this illusion that maybe you can make it if you make a run for it. Um, but yeah. just as you start to take off, you uh, you collide with the corner of the car itself um, as the, the sticking out piece of the fender trips you completely, and you fall face first into the asphalt um the, the the sort i'm sorry the paved sort of dirt on the road there and you kick up all this dust that's come with you you can feel it get into your lungs um and then you can feel uh or hear rather the heavy footfalls of the individuals who have just stepped out of the panel van there's one door as you're first climbing out of the car and then two more as you're stuck into the dirt there on the side of the road um and uh, you can hear them start to, to move up against you. You're on the ground. They're coming up against you. The first form is maybe 10 feet away from you. You haven't got a good look at him yet. And then the others are maybe uh, 15 feet behind him. Uh, is there any uh, last-ditch efforts? You're crawling through the dirt. You're hoping to God you can get away. What's the play? Looking for uh, any kind of object he can use as a weapon. Big-ass rock. Something he can slug one of these fuckers with the minute they get in striking distance. I fucking love it let's do wits and melee to find something along the yeah road. buddy all right that's not a bad dice pool oh that's what i'm talking about four successes four successes absolutely the lovely thing about a car uh turning over and having this delicious spray of debris <laughs> is that uh there is this clear piece of muffler that is broken free from your sedan hell yeah piping hot but just enough off the end, you think you could probably pick it up. You'd burn your hands, but you would definitely get a chance at knocking the first one that comes at you. Yep, that's the plan. He just grabs it and just like grits his teeth and just through the pain. Uh, maybe it's just the sheer adrenaline of having just been in a car wreck as well. Yeah. You know? And just he gets ready to fucking deck the, the first guy he sees. 
I love it. Absolutely. You turn around, you take a swing. Let me get, uh, I'm guessing this is absolutely strength in melee. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's not definitely not his uh, his best die pool there. And one success, I'll take it. All right. Okay, one success. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you turn, um, and immediately you clock the captain as you smack him across the jaw with this big piece of muffler, and a sheer shot of blood goes straight from his jaw off the side, oh, and he shit. grabs to it. This is the man who you have been hunting uh, towards with the Las Vegas sun for the last God knows how many months to try and bring to justice. Uh, Captain Underwood, the man who has changed your life forever. And clearly you changed his as he's spitting teeth off the side of the road. Um, He's a a blonde bearded individual with this long sort of uh, shoulder length uh, blonde hair itself that's gone dirty and gray at the roots itself. Uh, he's probably in his 50s going on 60s. Um, real redneck sort of vibe to him. Uh, he's probably even got like some late stage sunburn on his neck there. Um, yeah. And he's starting to show his age. Maybe years ago he could have looked like a handsome man, but now he's missing teeth in, in places. He's got a bad shave on his face he's sun blotched and freckled from the las vegas sun um he's wearing uh this sort of utility jumpsuit like you might have at a mechanic shop uh that has been drawn uh two buttons down to reveal this sort of hairy chest uh and cuffed at the forearms where it's showing more of this wild man's hair um and the second that he gets smacked with that pipe, he turns to the side, he spits, and you can see a molar fly to the floor. He turns around, and he reaches from his hip to pull a 9 millimeter down at you and said, uh, he looks at you and says, you just made the worst fucking mistake of your life. Um, and he primes it directly at your face. He just, he just tosses the muffler and puts his hands up. Get this fucking piece of shit up. Let's take a walk. He gestures uh, back to two others, one of which you recognize. It's it's a cop of which you've interviewed before. Uh, This was back Uh, in very preliminary cases. Um, uh, Clearly off-duty here, he's wearing the same mechanic's jumpsuit. Uh, And odds are you could probably recognize the other. These are are cronies under captain. Uh, And they come over to pick you up. Uh, by the elbows and sort of drag you along the dirt road as Captain Underwood again tends to that smash on his face you've given him um, as he begins to walk down the dirt road out in front of you. You're being dragged, or at least they're going to drag you. Is there anything you'd like to do in this position? I honestly, I feel like, I feel like a lot of the fight has maybe gone out of Ethan just a bit um, because definitely was not expecting to see them here and then the fact that they're all wearing jumpsuits he's not walking away like he's he's gonna die in this desert like he is he knows exactly what's about to happen right um and so as as he's making trying to make sense of that revelation he just there's almost like he just it almost like shuts down to an extent and he just dead waits it 
Right. You go dead in their arms. One of them uh, allows the other to take the weight while he rifles through your pockets. Uh, do you have anything in your pockets when he goes through? Probably just his uh, his cell phone and his wallet. Yeah. He immediately takes his cell phone. He removes the SIM card. He takes the battery. All three pieces get snapped. And then he tosses it out into this paved sort of area off the, the government lot. Um, and then he takes the wallet. He starts rifling through the IDs. All of those get, uh, get pocketed into that uniform he's wearing. And then he tosses the wallet back at you as it starts to get, uh, as you start to get dragged straight through the dirt. You can see the, the pathway that boots are making as they take you through to this drainage center. Um, it's solemn. There is no speaking. It's not as though this is a jovial situation for them. Even Captain Underwood, who threatened your life a few minutes ago with that nine millimeters, is silent in this situation. Uh, it is an execution. You can see the sedan and the van that have been all but totaled off the side there. Um, as the the lights are still blinking off your sedan and the van has gone quiet completely, it looks like an absolute wreck. Um, and you can see that two more cars have pulled up to the crash site area, one of God which damn. the sedan that was following you earlier. Fuck. Um, so they drag you up to the drainage area. It is like this, think, uh, it's almost built like a like a park restroom, that sort of uh, weird like concrete structure out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's an office door in, and then there is an auxiliary entrance that you can only imagine is actually to the drainage pipe itself. There's also a few of these little manholes off the side there, and this chain link fencing that pulls it all in. Um, Captain Underwood stands underneath this big spotlight that sits outside the office, and the two men that are holding you bring uh, you right up to him and set you down, knelt underneath this only source of light in the middle of this desert. You can barely even see the horizon of Las Vegas off the side. And they haven't bagged your face. They haven't done anything to bind you. Um, but they stand behind you and Captain Underwood nurses that nine millimeter service pistol in his hands um, and just sort of crouches down, heaving both elbows on his knees and and uh, using the the barrel of the gun, he picks up your chin to look at him. I don't know what I was expecting. It wasn't you, though. I could almost say the same. Yeah. I think I remember talking to you. Yeah. I don't think I liked that conversation, did I? No, you didn't. I don't think you liked the uh, implications I was making. Yeah. There's a lot of implications go through Las Vegas. A lot yeah. of people who think they know the truth of it, right? Well, looking around, I uh, looks like maybe I was right. Maybe. You were just a dirty piece of shit cop. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true, huh? Do you mind if I ask you something before I blow your fucking brains out in the side of the dirt? 
Yeah. What exactly did knowing who I am get you? Nothing. Thanks. And he reaches back with a nine millimeter. He presses it into your stomach, just lower, and shoots you clear through what you can imagine is maybe your kidneys, your intestines, something. But the shock of that pain sending through that center of your organs is immense as the blood already begins to flow. And they hold your hands back behind you so that you can't even rush to, to hold the wound there. Captain Underwood presses the barrel in the second that he's shot just to, to twinge more of that hurt out of you. It, it, it's screaming, just not even trying to be stoic, not even trying to be tough, just this these hot flashes of just nothing but sheer agony through his entire abdomen, and he is just head back screaming. Captain Underwood says nothing more. He uh, reaches into one half of the uniform he has and hands a pair of cuffs to one of the individuals on your right and then hands a second pair off to the gentleman you remember interviewing. You remember asking about his kids, uh, about his daughters back home. You remember asking whether he enjoyed being a cop. You remember the answer being yes. Uh, And now you remember him binding your hands back behind you uh, as the other uh, tries to cross in your ankles with uh, with two sets. Um, and you can feel yourself bound there now underneath the light as you can feel the innards of you leaving your body or at least draining the blood within. Um, the other two, with this done, begin to move down the dirt road. Um, Captain Underwood still crouched there in front of you, um, tries to meet your eyes, but you're now sort of collapsed into the dirt, but he does his best. Yeah. It was great meeting you, Ethan. You're a damn fine reporter. Shame your story won't get out. He stands up, and he leaves down the dirt road, and you can feel your body leaving you. Is there anything you'd like to do? He's making down the road. You can see him leaving. He's making yeah. that 120-yard walk. He, 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 Ethan feels that odd sensation of of warm blood kind of spiraling up his throat and just beginning to drain out of his mouth. And um, just he can't help but, you know, is this what it's like to die? And... I think shock at this point, like obviously, like with the blood loss and everything, and just his body has entered shock, and and just he just thinks of Genevieve, right? And how we should how we should have stayed. You imagine that coffee shop again, that diner. You imagine the booth you were sitting in, and, and her asking desperately to be happy. Um, and that is sort of a last vision that enters into you is the the pain sort of subsides that adrenaline that shock brings to you now all you feel is cold like there's something missing from you like uh, they took something from your body um and you're vaguely aware in the the fading twilight that is your mind that they're gone um time feels weird time feels like you have been sitting here bleeding out for a century and at the same time 
like you haven't gone anywhere in the last few seconds. You have been here since the beginning, but also only for a blink. Um, and you sit there waiting for death. And you know, or at least you have some vague idea how easy it is to die from a gunshot. Yeah. It doesn't come. Not easy. You're stuck there, waiting for death, waiting for Jen to be right, waiting for the rabbi to be wrong, waiting for Captain to get away with everything he intended to. But something appears at the end of your vision, just as you feel as though life is leaving you. There's an individual just past the shadows of the light on that road watching. You can only really see him out of one eye because the other is closed and half-dazed and dizzy. You, you can barely pick yourself up to look. But there's someone watching you die. He's half-dressed. His body gaunt but incredibly fit above. And there are these tattoos that line every inch of his body. Black tribal language something it's inscribed into every inch of who he is with these strange geometric pauses between each as though each single vowel was properly placed on his body and this extends on his eyelids across his features across his bald shorn head all the way down until that halfway point where he wears these cascading long fabric skirts and robes that uh, extend past his feet enough that it looks as though he's floating out of the shadows there. His eyes are as big, open, and bagged as your own. But there's something different there, just above. His eyebrows are cut, completely shaved, and just above where they would be, the center of his face, is this triangle of flesh that has been removed, peeled back like a window. And in there is full organ of an eyeball. This flash of white that extends across the entire triangle, that extends across his entire forehead. And at the center, this long, big, black iris staring in from the shadow. And for a moment, you feel as though it's just a trick of the light. It's the last dying embers. It's what the brain believes God to look like. Until you never leave. You sit there for what feels like an hour, Ethan, with him watching you die. Is there anything you would like to attempt here? The fading twilight of your mind. Choke out maybe a, a help. Just, yeah. You, you gargle it, and some of the blood that has been sitting in your belly seeps through, and you, you can feel yourself just struggling to form the word, and the word itself causes the symbol in that shadow to smile. And the eye smiles with him, as if the lid grows larger, as if the triangle encapsulates more of his face. 
And at that moment, you can feel him start to move towards you. And then everything heads to black. You die, Ethan. There's no doubt about it. But on the other side of that twilight, in the second life that your rabbi told you of, there's something else, like a dream. And the cold that you once were turns to hot. Steam, that emptiness that Captain left you with, has now filled you back up as you can feel warmth rush through your body. And you awaken in cathedral. You are in temple as a boy. And you're with uh, Rabbi Levy. They're standing at the back of the temple and you're both looking at the Aaron Kadesh, uh, which is sort of the capsule, capsule that they'll keep uh, the sacred texts inside of. It's also considered to be the gates to, he to heaven, right? God is kept on the other side of Kadesh, right? Uh, uh, it's larger than you remember. Massive. These huge golden cabinet doors that extend all the way to the top of the temple. And it, it's bizarre because those are supposed to hold books, not gates, right? Uh, Rabbi Levy turns to look at you. And to your surprise, he's grown a third golden eye that begins to drip this molten gold down his face, enough that it streaks past his features, and Levy looks unbothered as the gold begins to steam and burn across him. Uh, his now molten third eye drips down into his normal orbs and streaks them in golden tears. But he looks straight to you. Is there anything you'd like to do? Where, where am I? Ethan, what are you talking about? You're, you're in temple, my boy. What happened to your head? <laughs> you're playing tricks again. I understand sometimes that temple can be boring. I understand that we lose focus, but please, we have an issue. You said you would help. Uh, uh, help, 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 help with what? Oh, Ethan, my boy, you'd think of all people that you and I would be the last to be locked from the Shemoyim, from the gates of heaven. But here we are, and you're the one with the key. So open it. Uh. He says all of this with a shocking sense of nonchalance as his skin begins yeah. to <laughs> blister yeah. and peel. You, it smells of oh. like fried pork as he leans in a little too close and you can see some of the skin start to peel back red and then black and then straight through and oh. you can see the teeth beneath. What do you say, boy? Open heaven for us. Yeah, he'll yeah. go he'll go to the to the gates you try to move to that gate and instead levy goes to grab you on the shoulders and push you towards his face there are are you what's the reaction here yeah i th like shock and fear like just he 
a man that he loves. He doesn't want to see him like like this. Like this is he may not be shocked, but Ethan sure as shit is. So right. like like Rabbi No, what do you do? What's wrong? Rabbi No, something's wrong. There's a grip to your shoulders as he posits you to look directly at his face. And as that gold starts to drip again, uh, there is this disgusting sloth of skin that is falling from him. Um, And as he begins to speak again, he tries to formulate sentences. You believe he's trying to talk about the doors again. Wasps, one by one, begin to climb forward through his mouth, extending out until they start to climb across the gold and dye themselves along his skin. And they are beginning to spit out in droves across him as he's trying desperately to tell you something but can't seem to make it out. And the longer that you look at this, the more you try and look away, the the brighter his golden eyes are becoming until they turn into the sea of white and it's all that you can see. That white encapsulates you until your vision is gone completely and you're in a sea of white. You shock yourself back into standing You feel more in control of yourself than you were just in that moment. But all you can see for as long as you can is white. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He just just kind of tries to get his bearings. Um, Is there pain? Is there any sensation? Is there... Is he bleeding? Is there anything in his gut? There's no bleeding. Nothing on your gut. You check your body. It feels as normal as you remember. You feel in yourself as whole as you did at 8 p.m. in your office on Sunday. (laughs) Hello? The noise begins to echo throughout this place. There doesn't seem to be any physical response, but there is the sound of music that begins to bleed in almost as soon as you say it, as if someone's just turned on the waiting room track. Um, It's familiar, not in a way that is reminiscent of your time, much more of your parents um, or or loved ones, maybe a younger uncle, who knows. But it's a song called uh, Heaven or Las Vegas by the Cocktail Twins begins to feed in very low and subtle um it's enjoyable but you never expected it to be your welcome to the gates right <laughs> yeah. um yeah he just starts i guess is is does it is the music coming from all around is it coming from a direction it sounds like it's coming from a second room like if you've ever walked okay pass a house party or someone in the bedroom next to yours is uh, playing music as loud as they can it's almost thumping through a membrane through some barrier that is preventing it from being full of sound but it does sound like it's coming from all around okay he's gonna pick a direction and just start walking okay uh you begin walking and you walk for as long as you feel that you can muster. Is there anything you're thinking about or talking about? There's anything that you offer during this walk? 
he's he's thinking about those last minutes. Um, he's thinking about Catherine Underwood. He's thinking about the way he shot him, dug that barrel in, and he's he's thinking of how he was made to feel powerless and afraid. And with that comes the anger. Right. And and with with, with the rage and, and just like it, almost like digging his his nails into his palms, just wanting more than anything else to 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 be alive so he can he can make them feel what he felt. Right. In your walking, you spy something gray just in the outside of your vision. It's the first splash of color you've seen in this place. Uh, are you pursuing it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it immediately it? starts. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, you appear uh, and you find that the fleck of gray was a stone. Um, a stone that is about um, the the size of a, we'll say like... Um, like a soccer ball sized stone, one that you could hold in two hands, uh, big enough that it, it seems hefty to hold. Um, and it's actually dyed uh, in the very familiar, unmistakable dark crimson of dried blood. Um, even from the standing position to the floor there, or what you could call the floor, because truly this all feels like floating. Um, you can see that there are strands of hair and flesh still pressed into the craggy surface of the rock, and it sits alone in this sea of white. Yeah, he kind of just reaches. So, so, so you said bits of hair. Like, is it like a skull? The stone itself, for sure, is rock. From what, or okay, from where you're looking now, without picking it up, it. this looks like a stone. Oh, yeah. Flex he, of hair in that. The, the skin has brought the hair with it, essentially. Oh, got it. Okay. Yep. So this this brain's somebody. Okay. Um, he reaches down and picks it up to get a closer look. You pick it up. Are you moving it around in your hands? Yeah. Okay. In this yep. investigation, you flip this over. It's very easy to find. In the bulk of that dried blood, um, there is a single word sort of etched in. It looks almost like, um, like, uh, like clacked in almost. Uh, what's that word? Engraved in. Oh, ch chiseled? Chiseled. That's the word. Uh, it reads keeper. Keeper. Yeah, he, he kind of mulls over that and then. He's looking at the like. What colors? Crazy question. What color is the hair? On the... the hair looks uh, ginger in nature, like light red. Okay, light red. Got it. Okay. I think at this point, Ethan's getting. He 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 he. he... First, he drops the stone. Like, what happens? Is there gravity? Does it does it drop? And you drop the stone and expecting to watch it fall uh, it doesn't it's as though the stone was now never picked up as soon as it leaves your hands it originates exactly where it began so picking it up made absolute sense and in your hands it absolutely looked as you'd expect it to but uh, the second that it leaves your hands it goes back to its original state yeah. I think it like, just starts 
what the fuck is going on? Where am I? <laughs> just, just, just shouting at this point. Right. You're shouting, you're screaming, you're trying to get some attention here, you're trying to get some response from this emptiness. Um, uh, and eventually there's an answer. Uh, a figure, uh, as you're scrambling around, as you're moving your eyes all about this place, as you're trying to get an answer, a figure appears just behind you, and as you turn, you find him. Um, it is uh, a little boy, uh, wearing a shirt that is proudly displaying a, a geyser-like hole uh, in the ground that reads, Have You Been to the Pit 22? Uh, and it almost looks like um, like a camp shirt or something, like uh, like a, you went to a gift shop sort of place, and uh, it was what you got to celebrate your vacation, right? Um, so it reads, Have You Been to the Pit 22? in bold letters. Um, he wears swim trunks like little kids bright fluorescent red and white uh striped swim trunks uh he wears a set of swim goggles over his forehead uh and a star of david around his neck um you know him well uh you have an awareness of this kid uh this is you at about age 12. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to laugh. No. Like the, 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 I think you're supposed I'm loving, to. I'm loving, <laughs> yeah, I'm loving how surreal this is. This is uh, it, first off, just you're, this is fucking incredible. You're doing such an amazing. Job. So Jesus, I am Thank so long so for this ride. Um, anyway, um, hopefully I'm not talking too much. I know I haven't let you. No, do anything no, no. In a this is no. Time. This is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, Ethan is just incredulous at that point. Is like, can you tell me what the fuck is going on here? What do you mean? Am I dead? Yes, of course. You were shot. Yeah. Yeah. But you won't be you forever. What do you mean? You won't be dead forever. That's what I mean. I said what I mean. What do you mean? Are you me? I'm pretty sure. Is your name Ethan? Yeah. And I'm you. Ethan Cantor. Ethan Cantor. <sighs> Age 12. I just got back from summer camp. We had fun, didn't we? It was okay. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Listen, do you know what's up with that rock? Oh. um, I wouldn't go anywhere near it. Ooh, too late, I picked it up. Oh. Well, it has a habit of repeating. Yeah. Yeah, I went right back. What, what's what, what's up with that? Well, some things are fixed. Like us dying. They're supposed to happen. And some things are so powerful, Ethan, that they have to happen again. And again. And again. Otherwise... The world just isn't what it's supposed to be, you know? No, I don't know. Um, I need to know Genevieve. I need to know Genevieve and Rabbi Sam, are they safe? Are they going to be safe? Oh, they'll be fine. He's not going for them. 
No. He got what he wanted. That was the you dying part. Did they find me? He doesn't answer. Smiles. He does stop for a moment. He stares at you in that weird sort of fearful curiosity that a kid will do when he doesn't want to ask a question he's not supposed to. Ethan, what's that on your forehead? Immediately his hands go to... Your hands go to your forehead and you begin to feel the blood start to rush past your hands and then flood your vision. Um, oh, but as your hands go to touch at that new place on your forehead, you can feel shifting in your body. Like you're making new space, like the bones are moving to accommodate. Like something bigger than you is becoming a part of you. And you can feel as you're touching it and the blood begins to run, you can feel your perspective shifting. So much so that you can now see the fingers touching at your forehead. And you're vaguely aware that you're touching in at a new organ placed just above, uh, above your eyebrows. And immediately your, your memory surges to that man you saw across the shadow there. There is a feeling there. And it's blinking, touching at your hands. You can feel eyelashes, eyelids. Who knows what the fuck that is. But you can see out of it. You can see forward. You now see in this fisheye lens a version of your 12-year-old self looking up at you, making direct eye contact, afraid of you in three different perspectives. Um, he reaches in to his pockets and wrenches free this handed piece of sharded glass and holds it up to you. Uh, you can see the first his shirt. Just thinking of that shirt, what the fuck does that even mean? Have you been to the pit? You've never seen a pit, but then it climbs up your arm into that mirror and you can see yourself. There's a third eye placed directly on the center of your face. Vince, what does this third eye look like? It is uh, black, pitch black with a blood red iris the pupil itself a horizontal slit i love it i'm sorry blood red pupil i apologize so the pupil is is blood red the rest love of the it. eye is yeah black what black sort of like a sclera look right yep and then yeah it's got that horizontal slit pupil like some uh some animals do right Almost it like is. a reptile, yeah. Yeah, like a like I love it. Perfect for Vegas. Yeah. You get a vision of this new part of yourself, and if it was anything else, you'd think it would be a trick of the light or the fact that you're dead, the fact that this is heaven. But there is true sight. You can see yourself through and out, and you're aware uniquely of this new perspective. Um and just as you're looking into this this pitch black, blood red irised horizontal eye that now sits right on the center of your face, it blinks and everything goes to black. And you're awake. Even more so, you're back on Earth. 
I shudder to say, alive. Instead, you feel something entirely different. Dead but still moving. You wake up in what you can only assume is a cobblestone basin, maybe two feet high. That's what you can judge from the cone of light that's sitting over you. There's a single industrial lamp and light bulb that sits in the center of the ceiling secured by a strong pipe. The light sends this cone of amber light over you, but it shudders for you to even look at it, especially with this new third appendage, whatever you were in that dream, in that heaven, in, in that life in between. In your second, you brought it with you sitting here on the front of your face and you can see in this odd new dimension with all three eyes um, and you have this intense warmth inside of you but also this burning sensation that you need something you need something you don't know what that something is but it's an intense emptiness you've never dealt with in your life Continuing around the room in that lamplight, you are in a pool of blood that's maybe two inches deep. And you can feel that cold liquid sort of slosh over your skin. It's running along the clothes that you wore that Sunday night to go see uh, the captain, to go see your caller. Uh, it's the same thing, but now doused in this new liquid. In fact, you can see where it's starting to touch new fabric as though you've been put in here recently not as though you've been here for forever as it felt in your dream. Um, across from you is your guest, the man who watched from the horizon. Only this time, he's brought you a gift. You're still caught by that triangle eye on his face, but you drag yourself away for just long enough to see that he holds in one hand the reins to the last guest at the basin. It's a tall quarter horse, uh, shimmering brown under the lamplight, the type that you might take on a, on a Vegas hike or for horseback riding or to uh, keep as a house pet uh, if you own farm property. Uh, America's traditional horse, trapped in this underground room, strapped in by the reins of this half-shirted, tattooed individual. And it is kicking and braying and neighing and is fighting the walls. It's fighting him, but he is standing completely still, unmoving, unblinking, staring directly into you. The questions start coming. Where am I? Who are you? What is this? Holy shit. There's blood, what it, uh, there's blood everywhere. What's happening? Just panic, panic. Nothing. He is calm, unbothered, undelivered, nothing to say. He grips tighter the reins of that horse and stares into you. And the smell of everything that's around you, the blood underneath, the, the smell of him, the smell of the horse, all becomes so acutely aware in your senses. And that emptiness you were feeling before it has a purpose now. It's this you've been waiting for. This formerly sickening thought is now satiating everything that you are. If you could just drink this, 
if you could just drink him, if you could just drink it, anything, if you could just take, if you could consume, if you could breathe in what makes them living, then maybe you would never have to go back to that place in the white. Is there anything here? The questions, they go unanswered. They bounce off cobblestone walls. You're vaguely aware you're underground somewhere. At least that yeah. way, I guess. Just as that realization kind of comes in, like, and, and the thought of, like, he thinks of scooping up this blood that that is surrounding him and drinking of it. Does it sicken him? It sickens Ethan. But there's a voice that speaks in small and slow and sweet says not that it drink it and you can feel your heart sort of pull at this voice or at least what used to be this vacuum that the voice is operating inside your chest is pulling you towards the beast and that part of you the other person whatever that voice was to you that isn't sickened at all. It's ready. And Ethan, it feels really easy to say yes. As easy as it was to come out to that drainage ditch. As easy it was to say no to Jen. It would be easy again. This is the right choice. You know what's right. You have always known what's right. You have known what is the truth. And the truth is that this is you now. Drinking whatever this is. And your guest on the other side, he looks to you. For the first time, he speaks. As if he's noticed something in you. Another blink of that triangled eye. He says to you, It is time. You are the sixth of Enoch, angel of Salo, and chosen of Samuel's fleet. You take name this day that it might give you sight that it might save these from strife. You mark the beast, Ragel. And he takes in his hand this long ceremonial curved dagger that looks almost built of bone. And he extends it, blade forward to you. Ethan slowly reaches out eyes flicking from the horse to this man and back and accepts it man nods he seems pleased though you don't sense that from his face you sense it from his eye it zones in on you like dilation of the iris but instead it's this awareness that he is pleased accepted of this the horse begins to kick even harder. Bray and neigh and everything. Um, but he holds the reins forward and pulls it towards you and bears it enough that even with the kicking, the braying, the side of this big, magnificent beast is extended out to you, um, full canvassed. And he looks to you and he says, 
you are Regal. You will name yourself this and drink now that its sacrifice is not wasted on your name. This beast is yours to blood. Ragel. Ragel. And almost as almost like muscle memory of a memory he doesn't remember having that curved blade he can he's looking at the horse's neck and, and he can he can practically smell the pulse and he can see in its panic how there's like one patch of skin that's just vibrating rapidly in fear and he, that's where the knife goes that's where the blade goes and he cuts and almost immediately his mouth is on it right it is a fountain of fortune it is the blooding of regal you pick yourself up to the spigot you drink deep and there is that voice in you as it is quenched she speaks back again you will be great you will deliver you will prove you will give justice to the people as you drink deep of this blood and she sings sweet nothings into your ear as though you've done well by her drink deep and deep and deep how much of this beast do you take, Ragel? I don't think he would know to stop. You know, I, I don't. I, I think he would just, he would go until he was satiated. And if that meant, that meant draining it, that meant draining it. And indeed, your guest, your new confidant does not dissuade you from this action. You drain the beast leaving it for dead here in whatever hole you have found yourself in. And the body is left before. And in one sweeping motion, the person on the other end is already behind you, faster than lightning, moving quicker than you can even track until he is right there at the knife at your hand. He seeks to take it. Is there anything you would like to do in response is the is the, this the sensation of having fed is he kind of like like satiated like is he almost um what sort of looking for like dazed is there like almost like a it is the closest thing you get to um pleasure to satiability it is a beautiful feeling that is almost orgasmic in nature. It is yeah. the most blissful situation you've ever found yourself and every piece of yourself that used to feel empty is now full and for the first time there is a dizzying effect to so much splendor for sure. I think, yeah, and I think that's it, right? Like, he's just so awash in these new, not only just these new sensations and emotions, but these new degree, that like the new degrees of, of emotions that that are almost like obviously unlike anything he ever felt while living and so just there's no resistance when when he goes to take the blade right he takes it and then along the side of the the rib cage of this beast you both have felt writes in a sort of script that at first you don't recognize the very human part of ethan Cantor can't see what is written here but once it's in full effect, this third eye recognizes innately in the blood of who you are, your name, Raquel, inscribed along the side. 
this man then sweeps up a portion of it into his palm, the blood that spills forth. And he comes to you and drenches both hands along your face, if you're willing. Yeah, he, he recoils slightly. What? What is this? I am Mokur. I am to be your guide. You are to be my warrior. We fight in the longest war that has ever been known in living history and dead history in history incarnate. You are to be a warrior of peace and to know the true sight of Golconda, and that is the Nirvana of blood, the essence of soul. You are a gel, and I am going to teach you everything. He wipes it across your face. And I think that's where we'll end. Holy fucking shit, dude. Oh, man. Incre incredible. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Um, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so this much was for amazing. letting me talk for so long. I feel like I... The, thank you. I hope I... There. No, I hope you felt... I hope you didn't feel like I was I was just indecisive. Uh, no, no, <laughs> absolutely. Like, all right. No, that was perfect. Dude. I had an incredible time. I hope that you Me like Mokur and what we're putting together here. Yes. I, I hope the patrons got the same amount of like out of yeah. this situation. Thank you guys oh, for joining shit. us here. Uh, hopefully this gives you a taste of many things to come for Regal. We had a lot to set up there in terms of sort of the the uh, trajectory for him. Um, so right. don't expect all of these to be so uh, uh, narrative in, in situation, but hopefully you got a good feeling for what I'm going to do to, for Regal in the future. Uh, with him playing a salubri, we're dealing with a lot of these visions. And I yeah. wanted to, one thing me and Vince talked about a lot was putting him through one of these dreams for the first time. And that, that took a lot out of it, I know. But hopefully Amazing. you enjoyed it. There are more origin oh. sessions coming your way. I believe the next one will be with uh, with Zakia and then Eli. Uh, we've got Leg down the way too, so everyone's getting their turn. Uh, and then tune in as well on July 2nd or every bi-weekly Saturday after that for the actual uh, game of Vegas by night where we'll be putting all these folks into a lovely little coterie and you'll get to see more of Regal's crazy dreams yes. and, and see some of the incredible things he's capable of as a salubri. Wow. Um, yeah uh vince thank you so much for playing man i had such Buddy, a good thank time thank you so did i thank you so much and, and thank you all for watching this was great i can't wait for y'all to see what what other what other stuff caleb gets up to man oh, i'm so stoked yeah, i'm so I, ready i got a lot in store especially for regal here so it's, it's gonna yeah, be yeah buddy let's all do right. it <laughs> we will see you guys soon thank you again patrons we'll see you in the see next ya. one